Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 513. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. It is a miserable day. I mean, every day is happy and glorious, you know what I mean, inside the mind of Tony C. Smith. But outside there, and I've got the dogs to walk as well, you know what I mean? And they don't care what weather it is. They just want to, like, lope and jump around. But it's pouring down, and I've got to get ready, get into my work gear and get to work. Not looking good out there at all. Man, it could be a very quick walk for the dogs. So I'll tell you what's coming in day show. First up is we've got the main fiction, Bodies of Evidence by Alan Baxter, narrated by John Padgett. Then we've got a little section by our good friend from Starship Sova, Mark Zickery. Mark Zickery, as you know, Space Command, he's doing another Kickstarter, Space Command Redemption. And he just wants to say hello and give you a little, basically an update of how it's going and pop over to his Kickstarter. That is all coming into the show. Do we hope you will stick around and enjoy it? We have, you know what I mentioned about, I'm always going to go on about peering because that's, you know, it's, it's how it kind of, it's how this show is running at the minute, all the kind of three shows. The last time I did an update, we had 266 Patreons over there at Patreon, you know, who's kind of getting the rewards and who's helping with, you know, and bear in mind, Five to eight thousand on Starship Sova, round about twelve thousand listen, and three on Tales to Terrify, and about three on Farfetch Fables. We had to cut back, as you know, on Farfetch Fables, and that's a bit of a shame to be quite honest. We're now down to two stories a month on them, just because that ad revenue failed, you know what I mean? But since October the third was the last time I kinda give you an update, it is now November the twenty first. It was in October, 266. We have now had 294. That is, and I had to actually use the calculator to work that. <laughs> I'm trying with my fingers. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, the calculator. 28. Now that, honestly, everyone who's come over there, thank you so much. That it re- Man, it means so much. You know what I mean? There's bloody tears in my eyes now welling up about it. It just, it's great because... The whole ethos is just to kind of keep Starship Sova going, see if we can just do it ourselves, you know, by just kind of plugging along, and that's just fantastic. So everyone that's came over, thank you so much. If you do, you get a little welcome video by myself, and I'm loving that at the moment. That's kind of working so well. It's 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 so easy, and it's so, you know, I just think it's nice, to be quite honest, just to say hello, and you just get to see, you know, the, the face behind this... <laughs> 
his voice, you know what I mean? Some might not want, some might be like down, you know, oh, jeez, mate, is that, oh, 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 dear me, that's, that's nasty. But, you know, it's just, it's nice. And I'm doing the Red Dwarf things as well over there. And that, the Space, the Space Invaders. No, it's not, man. It's called the Silent Invaders. This is the Silverberg story. That's getting very close now to launching on one of the reward tiers as well. $5. I've listened to the... Because Silverberg, actually, there's an introduction as well. So we're going to put that in as well. So I'll try and... If I can, I'll put that on as well on this show so you can just have a listen. Because I think anything like history-wise, you know, of that's what I love. You know what I mean? The kind of golden age and all that. And did you know I bought www. ages ago um, golden age of science fiction. dot com never never came to anything. Do you know what I mean? I just <laughs> jumping as well. I've had to, this is how money's tight at the moment. This is how this is I can prove it. How money's tight. You know when you buy domain names, right? And then you keep them and you never use them. I've had one for years, honestly, years and years. And just this month, I've thought, nah, you know what? I, I I can put the money to better use, you know, making sure the show runs. I've had to let go of... Are <laughs> ready for this? www.geordieopera.com Yes, I had this idea to Geordie Opera. I'm quite into me classical music and all, and opera, to be quite honest. I, I, you know, I get a dig out of it. I really like it. It's just, it's something I'm kind of in the bath, in the shower, you know, and... <laughs> And I had to, I've had to, it probably for the wise, you think, com. Come on, man, that would have been, that would have been fantastic, man. A podcast or a, or a YouTube video, geordieopera.com. I was surprised that was still around, to be honest. You know what I mean? If, if I'm truthful, I thought that one might have been snapped up. But I've had it for, I've had it for years and it's been on the back burner thinking, I'll get around to doing that. And... A couple of weeks ago, it kind of came up through whoever, I, I can't forget who I, I, I go through, and I was like, do you know what? Yeah, I put a gun to its head, and I had to say goodbye. So, unfortunately, if anyone was kind of wanting a Geordie to talk about opera, <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I might. You never know. So, anyway, pop over and, you know, support Patreon. Don't forget, you can get this show ad-free as well. That's the, the kind of cool thing about it as well, because there is ads in here, there now, and if you just want, you know, me blathering on, straight into the shows and straight into the stories, you get all that as well, ad-free. So let's get into the, the main fiction. It is, like I say, The Bodies of Evidence by Alan Baxter, originally published in In Your Face. Alan Baxter is a British-Australian author who writes supernatural thrillers and urban horror, rides a motorcycle and loves his dogs. He also teaches Kung Fu. He lives among dairy paddocks on a beautiful south coast of New South Wales, Australia, with his wife, son, dogs and cat. He is a multi-award-winning author of several novels and over 70 short stories and novellas. You can read extracts from his novels and the novella over at his website, Warrior Scribe, or you can find him on Twitter, Alan Baxter, and Facebook. This story is narrated by John Padgett. John Padgett is a professional, though lapsed, ventriloquist who lives in New Orleans with his spouse, their daughter, a cat and a dog. Padgett's first story collection, The Secret of Ventriloquism. I cannot say that word, eh? Ventriloquism. 
was named the best fiction book of 2016 by Rue Morgue magazine. His work out are forthcoming in Pseudopob Ludcraft Azine. Antenna Signals. This summer, his work will appear in Joseph Pulver's anthology, A Walk on the Weird Side. You can find John at Twitter and Facebook. There's links on the website. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Bodies of Evidence by Alan Baxter Read by John Paget. Tally Lahane moved around the hollow display that hovered a meter in front of her brother's wheelchair. It showed a figure almost human, though not quite, the uncanny valley never shallower. Blueprints of a brain and spinal column moved in and out of the figure in a simple animation as data scrolled beneath. The voiceover extolled bio-cybernetic linkage between living and manufactured nerves. Tally's brow creased as the sales pitch ended with, Everything that you inside the upgradable body of your choice. The modifications are endless. The only limit is your imagination. The only limit is your wealth, Ahmed, no? Tally said. Her brother smiled ruefully. Yeah, this tech costs way more than we could ever afford. And... You're paying corporations for the privilege of taking part in human trials. Sure, but once tech has reached this stage, it's just jumping through legal hoops. The point is, it's possible now, and so much better than this stuff. He gestured with a nod at his wheelchair, and the powered, full-body brace charging beside it. His thin arm, muscles degenerated so far he could barely lift it from the rest, moved jerkily to the biodegradable ad pad, and the hollow blinked out. Maybe two years, the doc said last month. Maybe. In one of those, I could live forever. You watch. Everyone will be doing it before long. Next stage transhumanism. Downloading minds is a pipe dream. Who even knows about the soul or whatever? But this is cutting-edge medical tech. Tally's frown deepened. But does that fix things? Ahmed shook his head. Sis, it's not about being fixed. I've always had this disease. It's as much a part of me as my face. It's who I am. But it's killing me. And no one can stop that. Your brain and spinal nerves in a synth. Is that really you? Ahmed shrugged. Mind and body, brain and mind, who the hell knows, sis? I'm 26 and running out of time. I'm not ready to leave yet, so I'll chance it. Those synthetic bodies are so creepy. Tally held up a hand. Not saying it's not amazing. It would be so weird if you were in one, that's all. Not as weird as me dying because they can transplant me like that, but they can't cure this fucking disease. Point. I've been contacting all kinds of doctors to try to find a way in these trials, but it's not happening. I need to survive long enough for the price to come down. Or we need to rob a bank. She grinned, then a flash in virtual caught her attention. Sorry, hang on. Her gaze moved up and left to read the alert at relative distance of 50 centimeters. Sorry, little bro. Police business. Ahmed threw her the crooked smile that had charmed her since he was a baby and she was three. Despite the slow collapse of his body, twisting skeleton, wasting musculature, the numerous technological aids to keep him something close to functional, that smile remained unchanged. 
Go get the bad guys. I promised Mom I'd wait until she got back. Mom's an old woman who fusses too much. I'll be fine. Want me to help you into the brace? Ah, it's not charged yet. Mom will do it. And I can have Eric here in thirty seconds if I need him. Ahmed tipped his head towards the wall adjoining the apartment next door. Dolly leaned down and kissed his warm cheek. Love you, dickwad. Love you too, dumbass. Tally maneuvered her car down from the traffic flow and hovered in the alleyway. A streetcar flashed its blues and backed up, made space between its rain-spattered hood and a graffiti-covered dumpster. Tally parked and looked up into the flat gray skies and pouring rain. Spring was coming later every year. A young officer in uniform hurried over under an umbrella, held it high over the gullwing door to keep Tally dry. Her virtual named him Sellers T, age 24, one year out of the academy. Kind of you, she said. Sellers squinted against rain streaming over his face. No problem. This way. He led her along the cracked and rubbish-strewn asphalt towards a double door set back in the side of a building. A tarpaulin tent had been constructed, marked off with police tape. Tally ducked underneath. Thanks, she said to Sellers. Keep the alley clear, yeah? Yes, ma'am. Sellers trotted off and Tally nodded a greeting to a uniformed sergeant waiting for her. Virtual displayed his profile, Harland, career beat cop, 23 years in the department. She ignored the rest. What have we got? She asked. Harland twisted his face in disgust. It's pretty grim, Detective Lane. He moved aside. Forensics were at work and Tally looked past them. The body of a young man lay against a pile of burst and stinking garbage bags. His shirt was open and his chest, pale like a fish belly in the flickering neon of nearby signs, was stark against a gaping red hole between his nipples. The ribs on one side were gone, his heart clearly missing. What the fuck exactly? Tally asked. One of the forensics, Callahan, Sergeant, 34, looked up. Body was dumped here about an hour ago. Employee of Grinders disturbed someone trying to cram it in the dumpster. She nodded to a half-open bin, garish with graffiti like the one Tally had parked beside. So the perp dropped the body and bolted, Grinders, Taylor asked. Technocore club, right here. Callahan tapped the doors, against which the crime scene had been established. Main entrance on Garrick. You don't come down the hallows much, detective? Tally threw a humorless grin. Not my scene. When she did visit, more often than she'd like, it was for gang wars, drugs, illegal software trades. This looked like something new. And the chest wound, she asked. Best guess is organ harboring. Maybe not so new. Shitbags. The witness? Inside. Manager's office. Okay, thanks. Ping me reports as and when. Will do. Callahan turned back to the corpse, ran a scanner around the wound. Tally turned to Harland, standing stiffly beside her. We ID him yet? Not yet. Running an image search now. She tapped her skull, just behind her left ear where everyone's net chip was embedded. Yes, ma'am, Harlan said, as soon as we have anything. Thanks. She headed around to the front of the club, reviewing her video of the corpse as she went. Callahan's words overlaid the vision. Best guess is organ harvesting. Chance of catching anyone for that kind of shit was slim. It was a long walk out of the alley and along Garrick Boulevard, shoulder to shoulder with the milling crowds in their bursts of color or deliberate blacks. 
Neon fought a garish battle that reflected off the wet road and added to the cacophony of visual input. Virtual dealers tried to coax her into their hollows, determined to sell anything from supplements to tickets off-world, resorts on moon base or one of the Mars colonies. She did her best to ignore everything. How many return trips to Mars might pay for Ahmed's transplant into a body that wasn't going to waste away and take him with it? Way more than her salary, several times over. I'm not ready to leave yet. She pushed into grinders, flashing her badge at the ticket window, and the hectic street seemed tranquil compared to the thundering techno and strobing lights inside. Hundreds of people, many naked or half-undressed, gyrated in ecstasy. There were probably more illegal stems in use here than she could book in a month. She flashed her badge again to a bouncer as big as a bear, his enhancements on clear display in corded external muscle grafts and glowing gold eyes. Manager's office, she yelled. The man pointed a massive arm to the far corner where she could see a private sign glowing green. She pushed through the throbbing crowd and another bouncer let her in. Everything became muffled by the architecture in some kind of field generator. A short passage led to a door marked manager. A ping came in from Harland, text only. Victim is Carlo Vinaldo. Twenty-three years old, no priors, no record. Worked at Clarenzone, a software consultancy on Tiptree. That's it. A regular working guy. Tally grimaced. I'll get the bastards who did this to you, Carlo, she muttered. It didn't take long to learn the witness a barman named Steggs knew pretty much nothing. How much surveillance you got out there? Tally asked the manager. A few eyes. He tapped up a file on a desktop hollow and flicked it at her. Video popped up in her virtual. The room around her dropped out of focus as she watched the vision. It was all as described. The perp dressed like a ninja, full face covering, telling her nothing. No distinguishing marks at all, she said quietly. Well, he was a boner. She looked at Steggs. A what? Boner? Body mod? She raised her eyebrows, slight shake of the head. Steggs sighed. Jeez, you sheltered fucking cops. Pull up the vid. The manager flicked the file to play in hollow above the desk. Steggs watched for a moment, then said, Pause vision. The image froze with the perp reaching up to try to cram the recalcitrant corpse down. Steggs moved closer to point at a black-gloved hand that led to two stark white lines disappearing into a dark sleeve. See? he said. Boner. You're gonna have to explain, Tally said. He rolled his eyes. Next-gen body mod. Strip the flesh between two joints. In this case, wrist and elbow. The bones are lined with titanium for strength. Nanotech monofilament tendons. Blood vessels, all that shit, run through the inside. Then back out into the hands or feet or whatever, so everything works right. Then the flesh at either end is fused and fast healed around the bone. Boner. Dally's face was creased in a combination of horror and confusion. Why, she managed. Because it's cool as fuck. Expensive as hell, though. Not many can afford it. That's why I noticed. You want to get something like that done? Sure, but on my salary? <laughs> I'd get my legs done, but between the knee and ankle. It'd look sick when the sun's out. Tally wondered if the sun would ever shine hot again. She thought maybe it had already set on humanity. Boners, for fuck's sake. 
but it gave her somewhere to start. Where should I look for someone like that? The barman grinned. Well, it's unapproved. You'd need to find some hardcore body monitors and ask around, but I don't expect they'd be much help to the law. Even still, where might I start? South Hollows. There's a club called Hellfire Revisited. Might open your clouded eyes a bit. Tally jetted up into the traffic flow. The further south you went, the seedier the hallows got, with most of the burrows of South Hollows about as far from civilized society as it was legal to be. She ran through a few sights on boners and body botters as she went. Unapproved was true. The practice wasn't illegal in terms of being a boner, but the surgery required was technically unlawful, and by technically, it meant another area of law where the rapid progress of technology and medical science was far outstripping the ability of lawmakers to legislate. Any doctor caught performing the procedure would be reprimanded, maybe fined, but there were a thousand loopholes through which they could jump to freedom. Hellfire Revisited was in a run-down tenement in the deepest corner of the borough. Tally hovered out of the traffic. Even in plain clothes, she was too nicely dressed to blend in. She blinked her vision, zoomed up on the door, and saw a guy with no legs in a wheelchair just under the awning, welcoming patrons. Was he so poor that prosthetics weren't an option? He could get them for next to nothing on health care. Maybe he was off the grid. That would be reason enough to run him in, but it would only make enemies extra quick, and she needed info. She would see justice served for Carlo Vinaldo. With a hiss of annoyance, she gunned back into the traffic flow, ignoring the blares of proximity alarms and angry flashing lights behind her. She'd need to go in undercover. Ahmed called, asked her to stop by on her way back to the station. He wore that look. Mum had been on his case. Need me to take you out for a while? Tally asked. Nah. Help me into the brace, though. Why didn't Mum do it? She moved the cumbersome thing into a sitting position on the couch and opened all the brackets, four on each limb, and the large body straps. We started arguing almost as soon as she got back, and she stormed off. She leaves me this way sometimes to remind me how much I need her. Fuck me, Ahmed. She can be cruel. It's because we can't afford the brain and stem transplant. She lashed out because there's a way she could save me, but we don't have the cash. Tally winced, the truth cutting deep. Don't talk like that. Two years, Tal. Tops. Where are we going to get a million in that time? He lifted his arms a few inches, all he was able so she could get under his armpits and pick him up. He weighed next to nothing, like carrying a bundle of sticks, Soft, warm sticks with more love in them than any other person she knew. A million, for the honor of being a guinea pig. She sat him in the brace and started closing it up while it form-fitted to him. His fingers tapped at a panel beneath his left hand. Servos and pistons fired as they were tested. I was talking about how we could take out a loan or remortgage the apartment. Then, when I had a synth body, I'd be able to work and earn enough to help pay it all back. It's when we got to the maths that Mom got upset. We just can't do it. We can't afford to borrow the money and spend three lifetimes paying it off. I'm sorry, bro. Listen, there are advances. Every week it'll be too late for me, he said. My body's too far gone. You can't reverse this. 
If only I'd been born ten years later, the cost of the transplant might be in reach. He tapped more controls, and the pad slid back under his arm. With a whir of powered joints, he stood, took heavy robotic steps across the apartment to look out. Traffic buzzed past on several levels, the streets thirty-eight stories below alive and bustling. Tally remembered Ahmed, telling her how he'd like just once to be able to walk in public without being stared at. The bulky, powered brace, twisted crooked to assimilate his fast-collapsing body, drew attention at at least equal to his wheelchair. He couldn't go anywhere without his disability being the first thing anyone saw, usually the only thing. Ahmed, if we can really keep you after your body fails, then fuck me. We have to find a way to make it happen. Do anything. He smiled. That eternal, enchanting Ahmed smile. Anything? Like rob a bank? Before she could answer, he said, You know what? I will go out. Drive me downtown. I don't want to be here when Mom gets back. Okay, but tell her where you are. Yeah, all right. His gaze drifted away as he accessed his net chip to ping out a note. Brody Weston was a good cop, under 30 and keen, happy to be seconded out of uniform for the day, and he had some experience with the deeper corners of the hollows, having grown up on their fringes. Anything particular I should do? Tally asked him. Nah, just act like a badass, angry inside, like you don't give a fuck, but you don't antagonize anyone. People there are poor, disenfranchised, but they're not animals. Just don't be too cop. Tally looked at herself in the mirror. Everything she was screamed cop, because she believed equal justice for everyone was the secret to humanity. Though where was the natural justice for people like Ahmed? At least she could impose some order on society, if not nature. But the cop was well hidden in the get-up Weston had found. Her long, black hair temporarily streaked with neon blue, ragged jeans, high boots with red flashing LED pipe trim, and a jacket embedded with digit patches showing writhing naked dancers, cartoon-style like old Japanese flicks. She was mesmerized by the patches until she'd watched the animation through three times. She grinned crookedly. I feel kind of cool. You look cool, Detective Lane. It suits you, especially because you're normally so straight. He made it sound like an insult. She frowned. We're undercover. Call me Tally. Am I really boring? Sure, you're regular people. But you're a good cop, and I bet you have your edges. She wondered if she did or not. You're not regular people? I grew up hollows, not regular. My parents were deadbeats, though. I joined the force to get away from it all. She looked him up and down. Tight leather pants, leather vest, nanotats ran the length of both muscular arms. Geometric patterns folding and looping in endless movement, dragons and tigers, phrases and numbers scrolling in calligraphic script, like her jacket patches, but permanent beneath his skin, never still. He lifted his arms. I got most of these before the force, but not all. Do they mean anything? He raised an eyebrow to detective. Tally. They mean everything. My life is written here. He pursed his lips. I guess you wouldn't get it. She smiled apologetically. No offense. None taken. She remembered the barman's turn of phrase. Any other body mods? 
Tats on my back and legs, but nothing more than that except my net chip, of course. Well, everyone has one of those. Everyone over thirteen, anyway. He grinned. Yeah, but it's still a body mod. You want to argue that? We're about to get into a deep philosophical discussion. A million questions began to sprout in Tally's mind, and she realized she wasn't qualified to ask any of them. All right, let's go. They left the station and headed for the mass transit, taking a series of tubes and powered walks across the city deep into the hollows. By the time they were walking through the wet streets of South Hollows, Tally felt almost totally removed from her life, not only the change of clothes, but traveling without an air car, hanging out with Weston and his borough accent. It all slowly and almost surgically excised her from the familiar, a life she was rapidly realizing had been more sheltered than she'd ever believed. Even six years on homicide and the dregs and debauchery that had shown her had all been at a remove. Put your swagger on, Weston said as they rounded the corner into Grace Street, the Hellfire Revisited Club a bright, garish presence at the end. If ever a street was poorly named, Tally said. Weston looked her up and down. Girl, you got attitude. She winked. Follow my lead, he said, a slight blush coloring his cheeks. He strode up to the club entrance and the legless man in the wheelchair. Two tickets? The man asked. Maybe, Weston said. Who's on? Legless grinned. Lady Salome, best of the lot, you ask me. How much? Always twenty on the door. Right. Weston pulled out the bills, knowing full well e-commerce pretty much didn't exist this deep. Tally couldn't remember the last time she'd seen cash outside an evidence room, let alone used it. But she couldn't tear her eyes away from the doorman's stumps, hanging flesh off the seat of his chair about six inches below the knee. What's your problem, lady? He waggled the nubs, grinned like a horny wolf. Why don't you have prosthetics? Same reason I cut him off in the first place. What? He just smirked some more. You cut off your own legs? Yep. He made a gesture with an imaginary circular saw or something similar in the noise to match. Why? Not mine. What? She said again. He dipped his head back and laughed. <laughs> Fuck me, lady, you're weird. My body wasn't right. I couldn't take it anymore, so I cut him off. No point just replacing them with fake ones. Anger rose in Tally as she thought of Ahmed, his body slowly deteriorating around him eventually to take him with it. You deliberately disabled yourself? She demanded, jaw set. The man's eyes grew hard. I'm not fucking disabled, bitch. I'm transabled. Tally shook her head. That's transabled? Like transgender? Born in the wrong body. Why are you looking at me like I'm a fucking freak? Transgender people might have an issue with that comparison. You're a fucking expert here? Tally stared, lost for words. She scrolled quickly through a few search terms, reams of information flickering past her eyes, top left. Transabled, when abled body people desire to become disabled. Body Integrity Identity Disorder, BIID, is a rare phenomenon in which individuals desire to become disabled through the amputation of fully functioning limbs. Amputation fetishists. Slightly out of focus, she caught Weston staring daggers at her. Yeah, right. Well, I'm glad you're happy, she said. The man glared. 
Weston put a hand on her back, pushed her into the club. The fuck is wrong with you? He whispered harshly. You'll get us stabbed. She strode off ahead of him. The small entrance hall opened into a huge auditorium. Vape smoke swirled and danced in bright spotlights of a dozen different colors, occasionally seeming to come alive in front of UV strips. Low industrial grind throbbed through the floor. The place was packed. Weston's full-sleeved nanotats were nothing here. People had full-face nanotats, writhing serpents or glowing skulls obscuring their identity. Piercings and subdermal implants seemed to puncture and swell almost every piece of exposed flesh. Ears were stretched into points. Teeth were filed or prosthetically enhanced. One guy walked past wearing nothing but a loincloth, his entire body tattooed in old-fashioned ink to resemble a tiger. He had cheek implants, whiskers sprouting from his fattened upper lip, and what looked like a real tail, furry and swishing side to side as he walked. He growled at Tally, and she looked away. Weston elbowed her, and she followed his gaze. A guy stood drinking with a small group, both his forearms nothing but two stark white bones. His normally fleshed hands looked comically massive in comparison. The bones disappeared into the sleeves of an expensive foil jacket just below his elbows. Our guy? Tally shook her head. Too big. But maybe they share a doctor, eh? An alarm rang, and lights flashed. The music died away, and all eyes turned to a central raised stage. A hush settled over the crowd. Classical music began to play quietly, and the entire club fell dark. Then a bright spotlight snapped on, a column of pure white ending at the stage edge. A figure descended from the brightness. Lady Salome, Tally whispered. Weston nodded. Guess so. As Salome dropped below the initial glare, it became apparent that she was entirely naked and hanging by gleaming hooks pushed through the flesh of her back and shoulders. The skin stretched into peaks where her weight pulled against the steel. From the tops of the hooks, thin, glittering chains disappeared into the glow above. Jesus, Tally said. Weston leaned his head closer. Body suspension. I used to know a bunch of people into this. Spiritual practice, actually. My pal said it always made her feel more alive than anything else. <laughs> some people do it for the rush, some for the challenge or the serenity. No two people suspend for the same reason. She has a beautiful body, Tally said, wincing. Weston smiled, didn't reply. Welcome, Salome's voice carried through the unseen amplifiers. One of the purest experiences in this world, or any other, is pain, and there is little in the realms of pain, more exquisite than live flaying. Tally cast a worried glance at Weston. He shrugged. A figure rose through the stage, reclined on something like a dentist's chair to lay before Salome. He was equally naked, his eyes wide in some strange combination of excitement and fear. No anesthetic, Salome intoned. No painkillers, just pure experience. She lifted a surgical scalpel from beside the man and held it high to reflect the light. Muted encouragement rose from the crowd. Salome looked to the man on the chair, and he nodded. Bless you, 
she whispered, and drew the scalpel down the flesh of his chest from collarbone to stomach. He arched and hissed. Salome made several similar cuts parallel, a couple of centimeters apart, and the man's body flooding scarlet. His cock stood rigid, bright in the spotlight. Then Salome drew the scalpel along the top of the vertical incisions. She produced a small silver hook, slipped it into the skin at the top of the first and pulled, using the scalpel behind. A ribbon of skin peeled away from the man's chest, and he sobbed and nodded, and the crowd cheered. The fuck would make a person subject themselves to that, Tally said, looking away. How many before he succumbs to the pain? Salome asked, and slowly peeled down another strip of skin. Tally's spotted attendants crouched nearby with hypos at the ready, presumably anesthetics or painkillers. One held a pumper of dermal gel and watched intensely. Tally turned. For fuck's sake, we need to get away from this. She swallowed as the crowd cheered louder and Salome cried, That's three! The boner in the crowd was rapt and jumped as Tally tapped his shoulder. The hell? I'm watching here! She pointed to his arm. Who did that for you? He glanced at her, brows knitted. What? That. She remembered Steggs, the barman at Grinders. I want to get my legs done. It'll look sick in summer when I'm in short skirts. The boner smirked at her and his eyes unfocused. He reached into the air between them and flicked. An email address popped into Tally's virtual. She accepted, and it dropped into her contacts. Thanks. Whatever. Leave me alone. Four! Salome cried, and the man's gasping sobs echoed across the room. Tally grabbed Weston's arm. Let's get the hell out of here. It took a day for the police to track the email address Tally had been given. It led them through several virtual servers, four encrypted firewalls, and numerous counter-intrusion measures. But law enforcement tech was powerful when it came to data tracking. It was also a day Ahmed spent in the hospital, having collapsed in his power brace at a games arcade on Spencer Street. Tally stood by his hospital bed, their mother on the other side, while the doctors relayed the facts. Ahmed's muscular degeneration was continuing to put dangerous pressure on his skeleton and organs, and his organ function was weakening faster than anticipated. We can account for and encounter a lot of this still, the doctor assured them, but her eyes were pained. Same way we braced your bones, replaced your heart two years ago. That was a muscle I really didn't want to lose, Ahmed said with a grin. The doctor nodded. Right and we can grow or build replacements for most of your organs, brace your skeleton further if finances can be found. Medical insurance is beginning to deny our claims, their mother said, tears on her cheeks. But we're getting close to that day we talked about, the doctor said. The degeneration is moving faster than science. I guess I'll take whatever time you can buy me, Ahmed said. Tears glistened on his lashes, but they wouldn't fall. Not here, not now. Tally ached at her brother's bravery, his calm in the face of this injustice. Surely military tech can help, she said. Those bastards have titanium bone plating, neurochemical enhancements, muscle wiring. Only the wealthiest civilians can have military-level upgrades, the doctor said. Insurance doesn't cover it. Besides, we're going to reach a point soon when even that isn't good enough. Insurance doesn't cover the brain and stem transplant either. Ahmed said. The doctor looked surprised. That's seriously new tech. It would be perfect for you, assuming they can really make it work, but 
definitely outside insurance purview. So what now? Ahmed asked. The doctor smiled, but it was sad and didn't reach her eyes. You can go home. We've retarded things for the moment. But I don't have long. Not even maybe the two years, we thought. His lips trembled as he spoke. I'm sorry, Ahmed. I really am. There are perfectly healthy fuckers out there cutting off their own legs and refusing prosthetics or willingly stripping flesh from their fucking bones and my brother can't be approved for a medical process that could save his life. Maybe not perfectly healthy, Weston said. Don't underestimate that guy without the legs, his needs or issues. It's something we can't understand. Yeah, maybe, but fuck me. Where's the justice? Tally stared at the digital art moving across her jacket, once again in her street disguise. Weston reached over, a hand on her knee. I'm sorry, there's no justice there. I know. Set us down. Weston took the air car to street level and parked. They hopped out, wincing against the incessant rain, and walked purposefully to the address revealed by the email trace to be the location from where most responses to that address originated. Process of elimination. They entered the corporate tower, ignored the receptionist, and took the elevator to the 29th floor, a call came in from forensics as they rose. Callahan's face blossomed in Tally's virtual. Hey there, we met over the corpse with its chest open? Yeah, I'm on that right now. What have you got? Good timing, then, Callahan said. If you can get access to the perp's theater, you might be able to prove a case. The breastbone and ribs were cut with a laser saw that had a slight interruption in signal. Usually you can't tell these things apart, and a tiny glitch like this wouldn't make any difference to function... But it does leave a mark on whatever it cuts. Microscopic, but good as a fingerprint. Find the saw and compare a cut from it to this scan. She sent a profile over. If they match, you can link the saw 100% with that corpse. Thanks. Good news? Weston asked. Justice draws nearer. They walked into the office without knocking, and a kid jumped up from behind a desk. He was a boner, fleshless forearms clearly visible from the short sleeves of his accelerated decrepitude band t-shirt. You can't come in here without an appointment. Tally let her virtual run a scan. Given height, weight, and a dozen other parameters to extrapolate, it came back 86% positive that this was the kid caught on camera with the body. She was hoping the doctor might lead her to whoever dumped that corpse. She didn't expect the bastard to be working for him. Was this doctor the same one engaged in organ harvesting? It made a kind of twisted sense. It also made her job a lot easier. Your boss in? she asked. The kid hit an alarm button on the desk, but Tally was already striding past. Hold him, she barked. Tally pushed through into what was clearly a surgical prep room. The door swung shut behind her with a thump. Visible through a glass wall, a doctor and two nurses were standing wide-eyed beside a bed on which a young woman lay. One lower leg was already boned, and they were gathered around the other. That'll look sick when the sun comes out, Tally thought bitterly. Nowhere to run, Doc, she said. Don't let that woman die on your table. The doctor's brow creased above his mask. What do you want? Tally held up her badge, a long chat. You're fortunate we haven't started here yet. My client will be very upset she was put under for no reason. She expected her other leg done today. Too bad. I'm not doing anything illegal, you realize. Tally laughed. That right. Organ harvesting is pretty illegal. The doctor's frown deepened. 
He put down his instruments and nodded to the nurses. Bring her around and apologize. Make a new appointment to no extra charge. Before you come out, Tally said, do something for me. She pointed to a skeleton hanging in the corner of the room. Your laser saw. Use it to cut through a bone on that. Why? Just do it. The department will buy you a new mannequin. The doctor did as she asked and held a rib off the thing. Enough. Bring it here. The sealed door hissed as it opened and he stepped through, handed her the fake bone. She put it on a steady surface and leaned close, used her virtual to put Callahan's profile over the freshly cut surface. It matched. Tally nodded, smiled. Let justice be served for poor Carlo Vinaldo. She turned back to the doctor. Your name? Bentley Sarkis. He pulled his mask down to reveal a neatly clipped black beard. Under his emerald green eyes, microzoom irises glittering in the bright lights. Tally snapped a photo and ran the name and image through the police databases. Didn't know your laser saw had a unique cut, did you? Your boy out there dumped a corpse on the other side of the hallows day before yesterday. It had no heart. I know you did the surgery. You get good money for the organ? Sarkis's mouth tightened. The woman in the theater was coming around, face furious as the nurses explained the interruption. They led her out of sight through a back door. Tally's search came back with nothing of interest. Sarkis had all his licenses in order and no priors. There's good money in this fucking weirdo game you play, is there? She asked. She knew damn well the guy was rich. He wore it like cologne. Same as so many did when they had more wealth than they knew what to do with. I'm doing nothing illegal, and yes, I make an excellent living, Detective Lahane. Sarkis's eyes narrowed a moment, then he smiled softly. Detective Lahane, he repeated like he was tasting the name. Why are you into organ harvesting, then? Tally asked. If this freak show game is so lucrative and apparently not illegal, they're not freaks, detective. A person's self-expression is not something you or anyone except that person is at liberty to judge. Your attitude is part of the problem. So why organ harvesting? The doctor sighed, shook his head. Seriously, he left the body in the hallows. He was supposed to fly it out of the city entirely, leave it in the wilds where no one could trace it back here. People outside the city run into all kinds of trouble, after all. Lazy idiot. You're admitting to organ harvesting. Tally had expected he would put up more of a defense. The client needed a heart fast. There's a lucrative market for real organs. I have a reputation for supply. That guy, Vinaldo, came to me about... Subdermal implants explained he hadn't told anyone he was coming. Perfect, really. Tally's mind spun in neutral for a moment. What the hell was this doctor's angle? You're under a murder charge here. Along with illegal supply and everything else, she said. You sound like you want to spend the rest of your life in jail. Was it worth the money you got for that heart? Yes. I get an awful lot for the organs I sell, Sarkis said. It's more profitable business than the body mods but I need the front, so boners and the like legitimize me. I think I'll be selling a few of Theo's organs soon, the useless little prick. Trembling settled in Tally's gut, and she took a deep breath to steady herself. You realize I'm arresting you here, yes? I've got backup out there, and I'm recording everything. Sargus smiled. I'm going to suggest you stop recording, delete the footage you already have, and don't call your partner in.
Deli shook her head, opened her mouth to call for Weston, but Sarkis interrupted her. Lahane, he said. It's not a common name. He tapped his left temple, and a glint of light appeared beside his eye as his net chip projected his virtual and hollow. Tally's heart double-thumped at the sight of an email from Ahmed. You don't need me to tell you the details, of course, but I got this a few days ago, begging me to help him get into the brain and stem transplant trials. Ahmed, Tally whispered, almost to herself. She looked back to the doctor. What are you? He's dying, poor boy. Terrible thing. I was interested in his case for a few minutes, did some checking, noticed his sister was a police detective, but thought nothing of it. There was no profit in the whole thing for me, so I forgot about it. Until you mentioned your name just now. Sarkis held Tali's slack-jawed gaze for a moment, then nodded to the hollow hanging in the air between them, as if to remind her. What the fuck is your point? Tally spat, anger taking over from shock. My point, Detective Lehane, is that I can get your brother on to that trial. I have the money and connections. Realization dawned, and Tally's gut became liquid. If I let you go, my body mod business is finished, of course. You've got my name and face now. I may never work legitimately again, but I'll move, disappear. I'll have at least until your brother gets his operation before you can do anything, and then the trail will hopefully be rather cold. Assuming you ensure today never happened. You can't be serious. How long does Ahmed have left? Ahmed could barely contain his excitement. A bead of light glistened beside his eye as he projected the virtual for Tally and their mother to see. It's a miracle, he said his invitation to be among the first group of human trials for the brain and stem transplant was full of verbose congratulations and smothering praise for his bravery and vision. It talked about how his condition made him perfect for the procedure, how his sponsor must truly recognize that. But he doesn't say who my sponsor is, Ahmed said, eyes flicking between his mother and Tali. What the hell is going on? Tali smiled. Let's just say the police... Benevolent Society has made a special and anonymous exception here. You mustn't tell anyone, okay? Maybe I'll be a cop once I've got my synth body, Ahmed said, his grin wider than ever. Tali forced down rising bile, ignored the blackness eating at her soul. No, she said quietly. Don't do that. Find something better. Hey, go, don't forget. Copyright is Alan's. Alan, thank you so much, sir. Do you want to take on with a bit of kung fu, lad? <laughs> Come on, eh? Big lad, eh? Are you quick enough? <laughs> and John, great narration, sir. Thank you so much. You know, when I heard your voice first, I honestly, I put you down, I thought it was a pseudonym for our good friend from way back, Fred Heimbar. But I see, I don't think it is. I don't think you are, Fred. So, John, thank you so much indeed. So we've got Mark Zickery on the line there now. I sound like a DJ there, though. Tacky radio host. And Mark just wants to kind of just give you a little update on his Space Command. 
Hi guys, it's Mark Zickri, regular contributor to Starship Sofa, also known as Mark Zickri of Space Command and Mark Zickri of Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Babylon 5, many shows I've written for, Twilight Zone Companion, on and on, Mr. Sci-Fi YouTube channel. But I said Space Command. Now, what is Space Command? Well, a few years ago, I noticed that a lot of the science fiction was very dark and dystopic and despairing and hopeless. Some of it was great, like Battlestar Galactica. There were movies like Oblivion and Elysium and so forth. But there were no shows that were inspiring in the way that Star Trek had inspired me when I was a kid. Uh, shows that said we can reach across boundaries and barriers, and although there will be challenges, we can create a future worth living in, a future worth building for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren. And I wanted to write and direct and produce something like that, something that would inspire people, something that would say, yes, we're going through difficult times, but if we reach across boundaries and barriers, if we look at other people not as alien from ourselves, but the same as ourselves, we could um, create something brave and hopeful. And also, in my own life, love and compassion had been powerful uh, forces for good, forces that had stood against all the chaos and evil and destruction in the world, and I wanted to say something that would be meaningful to people. So rather than going to the networks, a lot of my friends run uh, network shows, and they said, let's go in, let's get a pilot deal. But then, of course, I would have written the script, and they might have cut me off at script, or they might have, might have cut me off at pilot, or the network notes might have wrecked it. I, uh, I thought, well, let's reach out to my audience directly and see if we can shoot this, shoot the two-hour pilot. So I did a Kickstarter campaign, raised $221,000, even though my initial target was 75000 Then I sold investment shares of, uh, to my backers and raised another half million. And, uh, and now we're doing a Kickstarter campaign to raise the money for visual effects and post-production. We've shot the first two hours. We've shot 35 minutes of the second two hours. I've written the first eight hours and outlined hours nine through 12, an entire season of Space Command. And, uh, and I'm also pitching it actively to the networks and platforms and so forth. And, uh, and it's come out wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully. And uh, so let me tell you a little bit about it. First of all, you can go to our Kickstarter page, Space Command Redemption. You can watch the trailer. You can see what we're doing. The cast is phenomenal. It includes Doug Jones, who stars in Star Trek Discovery and The Shape of Water, many other great films and TV shows, uh, Mira Furlan and Bill Mumy from Babylon 5. Of course, you've seen Bill Mumy in Lost in Space and Twilight Zone as well. Mira Furlan was on Lost. Additionally, there's Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager and Stargate Atlantis. There's Mike Harney from Orange is the New Black, John Hennigan from Glow, Ferran Tahir, who's the uh, Federation captain in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, who gets skewered at the beginning by the Romulan. He's one of our wonderful actors. James Hong from Blade Runner and Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, uh, coming up, and we also have Bruce Bar Boxleitner. We'll, and down the road, we'll have Armin Shimmerman, Christina Moses, who's starring in the originals, uh, many, many other great, great actors. And um, it's, it basically follows three families over 150 years as we go out into space, colonize the solar system, jump to the stars. But that just tells you a little bit about the basics, because more than that, it's about characters thrown into opposition where they, where they see that perhaps they're not the enemies that they might have initially thought they were. Uh, we have Muslim characters, we have um, uh, all sorts of people who are just like people in my life, African-American, Asians, uh, uh, everyone, people from Pakistan. It basically represents the world the way I see it, the way the world that I live in and that we all live in. And, um, and gay characters on and on, Every, everything 
that we want to see in science fiction, that we want to see in the world in positive in a positive light. It's not candy coated. It's not uh, rose colored glasses. But it's an exciting exciting story. Uh, the first story has been shot in its entirety. Now we're just doing all the visual effects. There's 1,900 visual effects. So many great uh, visual effects artists have been working on Space Command, and our designer is Ian McCaig, who uh, who, who designed uh, Darth Maul, Queen Amidala, Ray in The Force Awakens, Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we have we've just this is the A list of science fiction. So if you want to see more, again, go to the Kickstarter page, uh, Star- Space Command Redemption. You can also check out Space Command Series. Or markzikri.com or uh, my YouTube channel, Mr. Sci Fi, and see a lot of Space Command stuff. And, uh, and I welcome you being part of the team in, in any way you want to be. You can contribute to the uh, Kickstarter campaign. You can buy shares in Space Command, and you'll, then you'll get a p- percentage of my profits. And, uh, or you can just, if you want to build a spacesuit, build a set. If you're uh, good at any <laughs> carpentry, uh, we, can, we can use you as well. We're based here in Los Angeles. So that's it. I really appreciate Tony giving me uh, a few minutes to talk about Space Command. I'm thrilled at what we're creating, and I think when you see it, you will be too. So until next time, it's Mark Zickry of Starship's Top- Sofa and Space Command. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Mark, sir, fingers crossed everything's going all right over there. I'll tell you what, mind you, I watched the actual... There's a new trailer for Mark's work there, and, oh, man, that's just ramped up in like, quality and everything. You know, because when you kick off and you just have a bit of artwork and you, you can't really get a you know, an idea of, of, of what's happening. And yeah, Mark's got pedigree right back, and that's the cool thing. Mark can just kind of draw on... He's friends. And that's how we make, I think, you know what I mean? Today we make kind of great stuff is everyone, you know, it's it's this what Mark just said there. You know, all over this whole world and Mark's, you know, singing off the same hymn sheet. I hope everyone else is, do you know what I mean? This world is a beautiful place and we can just draw on talents from all over it. Do you know what I mean? We don't need kind of barriers or any nonsense like that. And Mark's right in there just... Make and, and it's coming and have a look at that trailer as well. Do you know what I mean? This is just ramped up there. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's great to see it go from you know stunning artwork. Don't get us wrong, you know, but to see it now, you're thinking, oh. And there's a clip there where there's a rocket taken off from. I'm I'm going to stab at the Earth or some planet, and it's one of those kind of it looks like dead futuristic rocket, but it's you know and it, it's got that kind of look of like the Apollo missions where it's kind of rattling, do you know what I mean? And there's the force driving it away from the, the planet. Oh, it looks, mm, yep, yeah, Mark, you're doing all right, lad. You know, you've, you've got the tick from me. That's, <laughs> thank you very much. So, that is today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. It's uh, It's been a blast. Don't forget, like I say, ad-free. Come over to Patreon. Honestly, this is the way now to kind of help us support where. There's the ad-free shows there. You get the little personal, hello from me. Hello, oh, Doris. Here we go again. He's cut that out. We get that. And we like say that Red Dwarf thing, I'm loving that. I've actually got them recorded. And the, the Silent Invaders, which is the Silverberg story, that's coming very soon, hopefully within a couple of weeks, to be quite honest. If you Sign up to my email. If you come over to the website, there's an email address there as well. Sign up to that and... You'll be able to kind of inform when things are happening if, if you're interested in that. Best thing, though, is sign on the Patreon. Until next week. Just like you say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, 
www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Get out there by and by. I'll get.